Who did I think I was rapping about Glocks? What the hell? Who, who am I? <laughs> Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Disintegrated Einstein. Einstein. Welcome to Science at the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role of science in some of our best loved and most hated movies. I'm Frida. I'm Abby, and this week's movie is Angels and Demons. All right, we're back. We're doing a live TikTok. Try number three. So we are on to Angel. Well, we're not going to get into the movie just yet. We start out with a little bit of science news or just science life, academic life news. Do you have any science news? Um, I don't know that I have anything that I'm allowed to talk about on a live. <laughs> All I can say is it looks like my thesis project is about to change. Oh, shit. So that's fun after two years. Having to do a project change in the final year of your thesis is not full of joy. That's crazy. <laughs> no, you so it's very stressful right now. Yeah. But super stressful and you have yeah. to up, you have to do a whole learning curve again okay what's your science news well well i wasn't i was in new zealand before the last recording of this and now i went on a whole conference i went on my first ever international science conference to christchurch in new zealand and and suspense <laughs> how okay. did it go <laughs> i was amazing like Firstly, firstly, I had two presentations back to back. They scheduled me like simultaneous presentations. So I had to cram two back to back. So, but it, it ended, it was amazing. Like it was timed really, really well. I had good questions. And you know what I realized? Because we did this, we're doing this podcast for two years. Firstly, my diction has improved so much. That's one thing. Like it's really improved. But the other thing is, I'm so much better at the live Q&As at the end because I've essentially had practice having live discussions and improvising things like questions and having to improvise answers that it was much like it was almost natural for me to deal with the Q&A, Q&As yeah. and to come up with like witty remarks and to think quickly on the spot. I really think this podcast has done a lot for my presentation skills. It was like an overwhelmingly good experience. And then, and then at the end of the conference, I went to karaoke with a bunch of people, <laughs> all these doctors. So it was like all these neurologists from some Melbourne, but some from Canada. And we did, went to karaoke, which I don't, did not do. But I have very good recall for music. And do you know the, the Korean karaoke gives you a score out of 100 for how well you match with the words? Have you okay. ever been to those? I no. did Eminem Lose Yourself and I got 100. <laughs> I got 100. That was how I finished the conference was getting 100 on karaoke. Good job. And I just felt like, yeah. That's what's I important about an international and, science conference. Yes. hundred <laughs> percent. I actually think that it was because they were like, 
I didn't know you were the karaoke queen. <laughs> like, I had no idea. I actually introduced my M&M thing. I was like, yo, let's see how lonely Frida was as a teenager. Let's go. <laughs> and then proceeded to to perfectly recall Eminem Lose Yourself. <laughs> oh, my God. There was this. Um, it was so fun. There was a station in Ireland or in Cork. Like, it was called Radio Friendly. It was a pirate radio station. And me and my friends, these freaking little white girl teenagers in Ireland in Cork, we used to record all of the like the rap hours on Radio Friendly and then sit there and write out the lyrics and then learn them off and then rap along to them. Totally. Like rapping yeah. to like freaking Biggie and Tupac. Like I don't know who yeah. we thought we were, but like yeah, there's definitely some California love, I can still give you everything. I can give you every bit of that. <laughs> That's the nicest it's one so of all funny. of them that I can give you. The other ones, it's like, who did I think I was rapping about Glocks? What the hell? Who, who am I? <laughs> there was, there was the, like I saw on the list, it was like P. Diddy, uh, every step you take. And it was like Biggie's wife. I was like, oh my God, that, I know I'll be able to remember that word for word. That shit's in my brain. Yeah. But I was, nobody wanted to listen to me. Everyone was like, no. Yeah we got to do Celine Dion. <laughs> like, fuck you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I want to do rapping circa 1997. Okay. Anyways, well, so speaking of, speaking of things that happened a while ago, let's talk about this movie. Okay. The movie is Angels and Demons. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 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 I just, I'll find my words again. I'll find my way into being able to discuss this. It's okay. We're fine. Right. I'll do a summary. Shall I do a summary? Will I just calm myself down and do a summary? Get into it with a summary. Okay. Summary of Angels and Demons, 2009 Ron Howard movie. The Illuminati are back and they are angry. Church bad, science good. But wait, it's a fake out. And the bad guys are actually the church guys. So it's science bad, church good. But can't we all just get along? Papal rituals, movie sightseeing, Irish priests, <laughs> standard. Antimatter, god particles, Harvard professors, secret societies and murder. It's a thrilling race against the clock. A clock that went on 30 minutes longer than necessary. But are we really mad at Tom Hanks' romp? Yes. Yes, we are. You might say we have been yeah, enlightened. You might even say that we are preparing our vengeance against Dan Brown. Quick, somebody call the symbologist. <laughs> exactly. That is my, my summary of Angels and Demons. <laughs> I'm so just on the summary. Oh, my God. First of all, Ewan McGregor, the famous Irish actor. That was a struggle. Like, how funny. As an Irish, just comment on his accent. I spent a solid 20 minutes of the starting movie trying to understand what his accent was. Like, it took a while before I went, is he being Irish? Like, why not just let him be Scottish? Like, just, he is Scottish. Just let him be Scottish. Why did he have to be Irish? It was so unnecessary. From the first second, the French accent at the beginning was like, bah, 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 and then they switched to Spanish. They were like, bah, 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 bah. like, who, 
Where, what, where are these people actually from? Could someone just tell me where are they supposed to be from? Because they ain't French and they're definitely not Spanish. What the fuck? And then well, there's you and McGregor with international, Frida. That's accent. what the Vatican is. <laughs> that was before. That was at CERN. Like we had. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, CERN is so international. Come on. CERN is in Switzerland. Yeah, That's exactly what it is. It's French, German, Italian. Swiss, I suppose. I, yeah, it's true. It's well, the, the accent thing, the like terrible French accent. I was like, what is? I was like, oh, they're not French. And then so many awful things happened after that that my memory of like the weird accents drifted so far into the past as I watched this movie. And by the way, two hours and 18 minutes, when I just looked up how long it was, I cracked up laughing. I just couldn't stop laughing. That it was two hours and 18 minutes. I, I fell asleep and had to go back and watch it. I had to, because I fell asleep. I had to go back no. today and watch it. Yes. I. This is the thing. I, I literally have seen this before. Not only that, Frida, I've read the freaking book. So <laughs> we can talk about that later. <laughs> but, like, but honestly, I forgot. And I was sitting there watching it and there was a moment where I went, oh yeah, this is the end. And then I paused it and I went, what the fuck do you mean there's another 30 minutes in this? How is there another 30 minutes in this? What, are you, what do you even have to talk about? We all know where this is going. Just get there. Like, it's so unnecessary to drag this out to the level that you drag this out, man. Just get there faster. Yeah. The movie was like, wait, so wait. Wait, Ewan McGregor's going to skydive. He's going to parachute. Wait, 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 wait. No, stick around. Wait, wait. I was watching the screen. This is for the live viewers. This was me trying to stay awake. I was like. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, I will admit, like, I mean, it's nowhere near as bad, but that's kind of how I felt with Biodome. I was just like, I was forcing myself to watch the screen for Biodome. No. Biodome, I was in pain. Different story. Biodome. No, 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 no. No, nothing's as bad as that. No, no, I laughed my head off. There was a point, I will come to it later, I won't talk about it now, where I actually just packed up laughing. So, <laughs> Okay, Anyways. so that's the general but, uh, yeah. thoughts on the movie. I, I really do have, have one actually just succinct yeah, thought. On. I had one succinct thought that I felt about the movie. The movie was like as if it was a movie of a board game. Like yeah. that they're in a board game and the board game is like, get the, draw that card, go there. You draw that card, that's pointed there. Get that clue, run, run, run. It, that's what the whole thing felt like as if, I, I don't know what this terrible board game is, but you know those complicated, terrible yeah. board games that never make it? Do you know when you buy them, you're like, this will be great and you never play it again because it sucks. This was the movie of that awful board game and that was the whole vibe for me of this yeah. entire movie. A board game that I would never play again. Yeah. A board movie. game where you didn't even want to get to the end because you don't even want to win. What's the objective? What's the, like, I just, mm, save the Cardinals. Well, you didn't save them. So what's the point? What was the point? That's a good point. What was the point <laughs> the, uh, of the whole plot? What was the plot? Yeah, what well, was the plot? Okay. okay the plot was me. whatever we Dan Brown felt go like, like it being. So, okay, so we've got like, okay, so I wrote down cast comments, but I'm going to admit something to you, Frida. Yeah. I realized I, I didn't write down a single thing for anything to do with the cast other than I wrote down Skarsgård. What a relief the symbologist is here. Skarsgård's the only good thing about this movie, and that's because I will stand by Skarsgård being the only good thing about any movie he is in. 
I love Skarsgård. Um, I have one cast comment, but it's not even about the cast. It's just that the evil guy who wasn't even the evil guy, he was just being hired. But Ewan McGregor, the Irish priest, that guy was such a Pollock's Troy vibe. Like I was just feeling he was Pollock's Troy. Do you remember Pollock's Troy from Face Off? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Caster Troy's demonic brother, Pollux. That guy looked like Pollux Troy. He was acting like Pollux Troy. Yeah. He is not Pollux Troy. I looked it up. He's like some someone Vanda something, but that was all I had written. Sorry, it's that's when all you, I um, When you watch the cinema sins, um, uh, everything wrong with Angels and Demons in 17 minutes or less, they kick off with the, with the best point for it, which is like Ewan McGregor, the second highest billed actor in this movie. Therefore, you know, he's the bad guy. It's just like, <laughs> yes, the absolutely. whole way through yes. the movie, it's just like, you're just waiting for the reveal. And it's like, and they set Skarsgård up so hard to be the bad guy. He's so, he's anti-science. He's, he's big, blundering, stupid man. And it's just like, obviously, yeah, you know. Uh, it w- this is going a different direction it's like come on but anyway there's so many things to pick out but yeah so I mean, we'll talk a little bit about a few like we'll talk about Vittoria um, Silvano and Langdon in a while when we get to the scientists section but if you've got nothing else to say about cast in general then um, let's just no. move on to what I have now titled random list of comments because yeah <laughs> I've already covered the uh, oh, a what lot. a relief the symbologist is here because um, it's the best line in the entire fucking movie from Skarsgård. Oh, I have a... Oh, and we've already covered lines. Ewan McGregor being Irish. So uh, <laughs> what have you it's, got, Frida? Yeah. Um, I have like... I just almost have a bit of dialogue that I just... Can I, it's, I'm just going to put it here. Okay crossed keys right and this this is like they're all saying different bits it's like crossed keys but these keys are upside down the first pope he was crucified upside down on vatican hill a few hundred meters below necropolis city of the dead upon this rock that's where the bomb is i'm like what maybe it was just upside down what the fuck Maybe he accidentally branded himself upside down because he was doing it to himself instead of like, it's upside down. Oh my God. <laughs> it was like, it made no sense. But what this the is the fuck? whole thing. It was like, this is the whole thing about the dialogue and the exposition in the entire movie. And I w- And the thing is, we can't even say it's the whole thing about the movie. This is the entire thing about the book. This is the way Dan Brown wrote it. It is fucking painful. I remember reading the book and feeling genuine anger at scenes and moments of just being like, why have you written this on pages? What is wrong with you? It's like an escape. It's actually like escape room. That's what it is. Escape room. The movie. It's so dumb. It's like, it's this, it's the smallest little clues leading them down these paths and every time they go in they just miss it and guys oh my god he's being burnt alive oh my god is this oh my god is that it's just repeating one thing after the other and and the way they all jump in the dialogue as if they've clearly rehearsed it like a billion times yeah 
upon this hill, that Vatican City, the necropolis. It's there. It's there. They're like, okay. And then they go. <laughs> Every single thing about it is so clearly done in such a way that it's just supposed to let you know. Like, th- this is the thing you're supposed to know. We're doing this because you, you to understand what the fuck is going on, you need to know this. So we have to tell it to you. So we're going to tell you in this really stupid way. It's so painful. Um, uh, I have I a do funny have bit. more comments. I have. Yeah, you go. Go. Uh, I just have one funny bit for me. <laughs> I cannot explain why. But there's a bit where he's in the archives and he just grabs the magnifying glass <laughs> to his face. I don't know why, but there's something about it. Yeah, just that something. It's so funny. (laughs) Through the glass. Action sequence. Vatican Library. Who knew of Vatican (laughs) Library? Ripping the thing out, like ripping the... And also the fact that he's just allowed into the Vatican Library. Yeah, go to our archives, the Catholic Church. Oh, yeah, go to our archives. And at the end, he's best friends with the Pope. He's like, oh, Popey. (laughs) We're mates now. I can watch you dress. You know, like yeah, exactly. Pope. I'm allowed in. The- <laughs> and also all there. the murder in Vatican City. They're just they're just murdering people in Vatican City. Like <laughs> like there's it. The whole thing is so absurd. It's bonkers. Yeah. I like Tom Hanks. I'm sorry for this movie, but I do like him. That's the thing. Oh, I and I, like I want to forgive him because I love Tom Hanks, but he made three of these movies. So I'm sorry, <laughs> but like, no, <laughs> you agreed this. So yeah. <laughs> should we get into the themes then? Sure. All right. Okay. So there's only one theme that I want to talk about here. Now I've talked about this a few times. I um, I've had arguments with people about this online. Uh, I've had discussions. I've had live discussions with people about this. Science versus religion. Now, I would be okay with this movie if its message was to show that science and religion are not at odds. That there's no correlation between them and that understanding science does not reduce your ability to have faith in a god. And like I said, I've addressed this topic a lot, particularly in my CERN debunking series. And we've had a lot of conversations about it. The problem, and one that this movie does nothing really to alleviate is that there are factions of the church. And the thing is, it's less about the Catholic church. Um, It's more about the evangelical church in the US, where they actively promote science as a religion. They push the idea to their followers that science is a belief system and that it is anti-religion and that science is purposefully trying to disprove the existence of God. And like I said, this movie does nothing to alleviate this rhetoric. Uh, Sure, there are threads of like, oh, but we must work together and all of that. But it mostly perpetuates the idea that there is an argument between the two. And I find this very, very frustrating because in reality, science and religion have no connection. There is nothing between them that is at odds because there's no comparison between them. Religion is a belief system dependent on faith in an unknowable power. Science is a tool used to gain knowledge based on empirical evidence. How do we feel about this, Frida? Yeah, to me, science is a system that we use to come to a conclusion. And I, that's always what I say. Science is just a set of instructions that we use to come to a conclusion that other people can rely upon. 
that's to me what science is. It's like a process we all participate in. I have this conversation a lot, but the crux of the problem comes from the contradictions that arise as scientific method became a thing, that the age of the universe was in dispute or the heliocentric model that went, that like came, came against ideas from religion. And so that I guess is the origin of having to say, oh, well, that's just another system of belief. Mm. Uh, so that's where, that's where, the, that's, that's the problem. So I understand that because I was very religious when I started my science degree and I did find it very troubling, especially in astronomy. It's probably the origin of my space trauma. <laughs> Just stay away from that because it, it created a lot of conflict for me personally. And I did look at a lot of ideas of how the two can kind of coexist. I was really obsessed with it actually for a while, even wrote some stuff, trying to like be comfortable with it. And in the end, I just sort of got over it and like stopped thinking about it and just never thought about it again. Because once you actually do science, because there's one, there's learning in your bachelor's, you're like learning history, you're like one thing. Once you actually start carrying out science, it's just about collecting data and evidence for stuff and writing conclusions. It's not a philosophical job. It's pretty practical. (laughs) Like the philosophy is all really good when you're learning in the beginning, but it's not a philosophical pursuit science. It's a practical pursuit. So you just get over it. Yeah. You just get over it eventually. (laughs) It doesn't matter. I just find it fascinating this this way. And like the thing that... The thing that happened was when I was doing the Cern Debunking series, I wasn't really thinking about this movie. It had been such a long time since I'd seen it. And it was only people started commenting saying, oh, people people think the Angels, the Demons movie is real. And I was just like, what is going on? Because I'd had a bunch of people commenting saying, you know, oh, you like, so you, um, somebody said I was a, oh God, what was the word? Uh, you're a CERN supporter and an antichrist. Um, someone called like you know other people would drop in giving out about how like oh I don't believe in science or uh, you have a belief system in science or do you really believe in science and I was like it's not about belief it's this weird term that people use about this and they do it in the movie where they're like oh they're false god or um, uh, they just they treat it as like science is their false god thing and you're like I don't understand why this is a thing, but other people then pointed out to me that there are instances of churches in the US where they do have these types of presentations where the preacher stands up there and they do raise up science as a false belief system. And it's so damaging. Yeah, of course. It's so damaging to, to not understand that there is a very solid distinction and that you can be a scientist and have faith in in a higher power. It doesn't erase that. Science is just about knowledge and understanding like just the, the laws and the rules of how things work without calling into yeah. question necessarily. The only thing that it really calls into question is like certain things in the Bible and just saying that like, you know, Earth being created in seven days and seven nights or or it only being like 2,000 years old and yeah. stuff like that. That's what it calls into question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five, six thousand. Yeah, I, it does call into question. And um, yeah, to me, like, why do we do science so that we can make stuff solve problems as well? So that it's just like we're very focused on 
but you know not all scientists obviously but having fundamental knowledge about the way things are so that we can actually achieve something with it so and I think like I don't stay awake at night pondering these big things it's like I have a system that I understand how it works and if there is a major breakthrough and a paradigm shift I just accept it because there's and yes that's faith and trust but it's not that it's because I understand the scientific method was put in place so that we can have a, f- a faith let's fucking call it it's a sem- this is semantics by the way Abby faith or trust or belief yeah. that when a breakthrough is made and it followed the scientific method and there is a massive overwhelming consensus of modern scientists that I can go to sleep at night being like that's a new paradigm great I don't think about it very a lot because yeah. we all participate in this system and it isn't perfect but I suppose you can call that faith but it actually isn't um it's semantics even just we'll get to it later but the god particle is this is semantics like how can you say god it's like jesus it's a fucking word by the way that's the thing but that's what they jump on and that's the thing that i find myself battling so often in my comment section is is that people jump on this so do you believe in gravity or gravity is just a theory and it's like stop jumping on this fucking shit that you don't understand because you're not putting the effort into understanding. I mean, we did it. We had that mini episode where we talked about behind the curve and like the documentary and looked at like the, just the concept and the idea and how they perpetuate these conspiracies around the whole flat earth thing. And it's the same thing when it kind of comes to this science and religion stuff. And they're all connected because that's what you'll find is the people that jump in and start asking you questions about whether you believe in science or, or do you think scientists can be religious are the same people who are also jumping in and going, oh, do you believe in gravity? And uh, like, just, oh, so you I think that the why. earth is I... round and all this. And you're just like, uh, you're all getting it from the same place. You're all getting it from this really, really hardcore religious system that is becoming very closed and not allowing you to have a and develop an understanding of science. And we see this with the way that the education system is going in the US, the way that they are blocking off access to certain materials. Uh, books are being banned. They're not allowed to be taught. Like some schools, particularly a lot of the Christian schools, they don't teach um, evolution. Uh, they don't teach... Um, they want now this whole thing about race, critical race theory, Dinosaurs. that they won't teach that. It's just, yeah. it's, it's a, they won't teach their, there's now laws in certain states as well where they won't, they're not allowed to speak about LGBT, LGBTQ plus, sorry, speaking fast. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's becoming very dangerous and more and more so as people get closed into their communities that won't allow them to think outside of it. And that's what, that's why I find it very distressing. When a movie like this comes out and people don't have the ability to see the distinction between a movie and reality. Yeah. I, I, I agree with what you're saying. You're describing like America, I think, is going towards being a theatrocracy and, and specifically an evangelical theatrocracy. And I'm very sorry for, for them. And I think that it is awful and extreme. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think not all of the people that have issues with science and religion or contest science on the basis of religion is coming from the same extreme place because there are 
very pretty mainstream religious objections to science that don't doesn't have to make somebody extreme. So I just well because like I, I'm very entrenched in that community. I'm still sort of within the Jewish community. My my family is religious. I have conversations like this with my siblings. My sister actually would, once she's asked me to do a live about science and religion. She likes talking to me about this stuff. Um, so she actually wants me to do a live about that. Um, so I, I, yeah, I think it's not all necessarily very extreme, but there is a lot of conflict. Um, I definitely was not taught evolution unless you studied biology in like the higher matriculation as because there's like actually a government curriculum. Mm. <laughs> then they teach you that. But yeah, like dinosaurs was complicated. Evolution is complicated. Age of the universe is complicated. Like we kind of weren't taught that. The first time I really learned anything about I did learn carbon dating, I remember. But I the first time I really, really learned that the universe is 13.8 billion years old was in university. And it wow. was a shock. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, the thing. I have had people, anyways. like, jump in and ask me. Um, I suppose, like, my, my perception with the science versus religion thing is particularly in comparison with as it relates to this movie and as it relates to CERN because there's such a huge thing going on with that in terms of the conspiracies that are connected to CERN and the way that people talk about them and the way that they connect it to religion and God. And CERN is basically like, it, all the conspiracy stuff that gets pushed out is CERN is demonic, CERN is satanic, CERN is like, it's all this weird stuff about it. And, and from doing like, from talking about it and explaining the science behind it and, and disputing this connection where or this like idea that there is a correlation between science and religion and you can only believe in one you can't believe in the other or you can't like trust the other trying to make people understand that there's a difference between faith and trust or like knowledge and um you know tools and belief systems and and just things like yeah. that i do get people commenting like asking me stuff like can you explain the big bang theory because i was never allowed to learn that in school and to me, it's just shocking. I just didn't realize how isolated some people are from certain areas of education. And then that makes them yeah. very susceptible to being led towards these conspiracies. And we talked about it before when we did that mini series where we talked about some conspiracy theories. And we talked about how if a scientist can't explain a complicated topic to someone because they don't have the background in understanding the, the basic science of it, that person is more likely to be pulled towards the conspiracy theory because the conspiracy theorist will explain it in a more simplified version that they can just accept. Yeah. Like if someone just says to you, you don't have to worry about what like general relativity is. You don't have to worry about how things are warped or how any of this works. It's fine. The earth is just flat and the disc just moves upwards and that's all it is. If you're the type of person who just wants the simple answer, you'll just kind of go, okay, cool. Thanks. I'm fine with that. <laughs> and just accept it because you don't have yeah. to try to understand the complicated thing, which I get. So Yeah. Yeah. Just I, I, I learned about the Big Bang from the book Big Bang by Simon Singh. That's how yeah. I learned about it. <laughs> I was not taught any of this stuff. I read that book and I remember going around telling people, oh, did you know about this? Did you know about this? You know, and like kind of like a lot of resistance. Yeah. People don't believe that shit, man. It's not just crazy. It's a lot of people. So yeah, shall we move into our tropes then? Because um, 
Hell yeah. What What's your trope? Okay. My trope is two, two minutes left on the bomb. Firstly, the movie goes on for two hours and 18 minutes. And they're like, but somehow it's a race. It's down to the wire. And not only that, there's a little percentometer in the uh, middle yes. of it. Thank you very much. But then she's like, oh, cold decreases the battery life. I love how this movie drags its feet. Fucking feet. And yet... It's like red wire, green wire. And then he just takes it and runs. I don't, okay, we'll talk about that later. But I just love how, no matter how fucking slow this movie was, oh, seven minutes to me. Oh, trope. That's my trope. It's so ridiculous. It's just like the whole thing, the whole battery thing. The, oh, yeah, no, no. And it's so long. It's so unnecessarily long. It's painful. You're so right. Okay, so I've got... <laughs> here's my little list. Um, we've got Sexy Scientist. Classic. We've got Sexy Lady yeah. Sidekick. Classic. Um, we've got Bad Guy Fake Out. Skarsgård was good all along. Uh, physicist in Lab Coats. Classic. Uh, smart Guy Showing Off Every Five Seconds. All his knowledge. Oh, you oh. Don't, as you said, they don't even teach you your own history. You don't even know your own history. Like, can, can I jump in? Yes. Can I jump in? Because that was one of my tropes. I called it I'm a smart guy trope because he's swimming and he stops and he looks at the guy and he goes, a swim might help your jet lag. And he's like, huh? Oh, yeah. And he's like, you have bags under your eyes. It's 5 a.m. and you're from the Vatican. He's like, oh. You must be really smart. Oh, to know all that. He's like, I'm a symbolologist. Well, I was on your suitcase, and I'm just that See smart. See all the signs. <laughs> That's what oh, I, I do. Guess I you must be a really. You're a really smart guy. <laughs> oh God, it's so annoying. Yeah. <laughs> Even from Tom Hanks, which is really saying something. All right, so the main trope that I wanted to pick out for this was secret societies and conspiracies. It's the Illuminati. Because who doesn't love a bit of Illuminati? I don't give a shit anymore. I I, might have cared like at the first five seconds of this movie, but by the end I was like, whatever, don't care. The thing is, I like, it's the most ridiculous part of the whole movie to me and the problem is secret society stories have just gone so far now that any mention of them in any movie to me I just like want to eye roll so hard I find it hilarious I cannot take it seriously at all I'm just like no don't nobody should ever use the word Illuminati it was in freaking Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness we had like we went to the other planet or the other Earth version and on the other Earth version there was the Illuminati which they actually said the Illuminati will see you now and I fucking snorted laughed in the theater I was like are you actually kidding me (laughs) Did you actually seriously just invoke the Illuminati in this movie? Stop. So yeah, that's that's how I felt uh, about it. That the Dan Brown, I remember when that came out and everyone was like, oh my god, the Illuminati and the Mona Lisa, it's like a side and like the right side, and everyone was like so into it. <laughs> what the fuck? Are we that bored and that deprived of any meaning in our lives that we are literally getting excited about the Illuminati? Get a life, everybody. It's so bad. 
And then the thing, right? So I had so I had a look at this because then I was like, you know, what's the what's the reality about the Illuminati? Because it comes up so much. So there's two sentences that he has in the movie, right? That Robert Langdon does. So first one is the Illuminati were physicists, mathematicians, astronomers. In the 1500s, they started meeting in secret because they were concerned about the church's inaccurate teachings and they were dedicated to scientific truth. And the Vatican didn't like that. So the church began to hunt them down and kill them. And then he has another, another line where he says, the Illuminati were a secret society dedicated to scientific truth. The Catholic Church ordered a brutal massacre to silence them forever. Um, in well, a author's that. note that Dan Brown wrote in relation to Angels and Demons, he wrote that the Brotherhood of the Illuminati is factual in his book. Frida, do you think the Illuminati is factual? No, but I think the Catholic Church did burn some fucking science people at the stake. So, I mean, one part of that is true. Hunting down and murdering people. When? Who? Yeah. Like, that's what I'm trying to Google. Mary Tudor. Because Anne, she was saying that the trans substantiation is impossible. And they fucking burnt her. That was her whole thing. She was like releasing pamphlets on how it's impossible. Uh, she there was like and something, whatever. Um, I think they did it. They did all that shit. Uh, okay, so everything that was said in Angels and Demons is bullshit. Like that never happened. None of that <laughs> happened. So first of all, we're just gonna. I'm just gonna state that before. Um, I was when I was looking. <laughs> <laughs> so no, they didn't do that stuff. <laughs> Um, okay. I think there was a few. I think that there was a point where Mary Tudor was just like vengeful at burning a lot of people that were heretics. I think there were funny periods in, in history where this, like people were, for the smallest amount of her- hereticism, were burnt at the stake or tortured at the rack. There was some, there's some pretty bloody shit. I suppose the question is like I suppose like look we we would have to try to find what the actual realities of it are because in everything I looked up in terms of the Illuminati all I could find was that it's it's just all bullshit. Like the this the idea that the church you know the bullshit. idea that the church did did all of this stuff is all just um so basically basically right the a brief overview The Illuminati is a word that's used for a bunch of different groups throughout history. And while the word does date back to some time in the 15th century, the group that they're most closely referring to in this movie was the Bavarian Illuminati, which formed in 1776. They were actually called Perfectibilists, and their aim was to replace Christianity with a religion of reason. It was politically focused rather than having any interest in science and does not appear to have had any notable members and definitely not Copernicus, Galileo or Bernini (laughs) because they were all dead by then. Oh, there you go. So also the idea that Copernicus was murdered by the church is a complete lie. He died of a stroke in his 70s. 
There's actually a lot of false information as well about what happened with Galileo and the church. He was never convicted of heresy. Uh, He was brought up on this idea of like some sort of conspiring or something like that. And he was, um, uh, what was it? He was, he was put on house arrest basically. So he, that, that was pretty much the worst thing that happened to Galileo. Um, and yeah, and like I said, there was absolutely nothing done at all to Copernicus. Uh, so there was, like, the movie does this thing where it creates this idea. I don't know if it happens in the movie, but it definitely happens in the book, where they have this idea that CERN scientists are petitioning to the Catholic Church in order to get pardons for Copernicus and Galileo. But there's nothing to pardon because the church never... Yeah never actually did anything with them. So this idea and the story yeah. as well in the book um, and the movie of the whole La Perga, the branding of scientists with a cross and then being, you know, murdered and tossed in the streets is all entirely fiction. Nothing like that ever happened. Yeah. La Perga. La Perga. Yes. La Perga. So in terms of the science in this movie, then let's get let's get into science stuff. Uh, gotcha. A lot of the science versus religion is such a huge component of this, but then the tool that is used in terms of the form of science comes in what we get from the stories around CERN and what they're depicting. So we have to start by talking about CERN itself. So Frida, what do you know about CERN? How, how much do you know about it? How do you feel about it? I feel great about it. It's the Large Hadron Collider and it's the Particle Collider. I know more about particle accelerators, you know, doing imaging and beam lines than I do about the LHC. So, okay, I'll step back. So CERN is the world's largest physics lab and its focus is on particle physics as a way to understand what makes up matter and basically how the universe works. It was thought up in 1949 after the war and it was thought up as a way to combat the brain drain from Europe uh, basically like a bunch of European scientists going to work in the US and it was also intended as a way to unite Europe in science and peace after World War II. Now the first accelerator was the synchro cyclotron and that was actually ready to go and built in 1954. A lot of people will think of CERN as just being the Large Hadron Collider. Um, But the LHC wasn't actually built and running until 2008. And there were a number of other accelerators of varying powers in place before the LHC. So alongside the LHC, there are seven other accelerators at CERN. Some of them feed the LHC, doing some of the prep work of speeding up the particles, and some have just other experiments. There are also two decelerators, which are what are important for antimatter production, as well as a number of other labs and experiments that do not use any accelerator physics. The LHC runs for three to four years at a time, as solidly going for 24-7, collecting data. It then shuts down for a few years while upgrades are implemented before starting up again for another run. And on July 5th this year, 2022, run three started. Uh, The opening sequence of the movie is basically emulating what the startup process of the run of of a run of the LHC would be. So I kind of wanted to just break this scene down and look at what they say they're doing, what they should be doing and what they definitely would not be doing. So... 
first off, how did we feel about this opening scene, this whole sequence that started at CERN, this idea of it? So I actually, I went to YouTube just to say, you know, because it was like, <laughs> and so I wanted to say like, does it make noises? Like, no. uh, like, does it make noise? Does it make light? I, and I just, I just needed to know. I knew you were going to tell me, but I was like, <laughs> I assume this is all fanciful bullshit. Yeah. To a certain degree, for sure. Uh, I mean, definitely, because it's in a vacuum system, so there's not going to be any kind of sounds and stuff like that. But um, the thing, though, is they did have a certain scientist that consulted with Ron Howard about the science, <laughs> which kind of upsets me. Like, the what, first time what I was that it, conversation? <laughs> like, this, the first time I watched it, I was just like, how did CERN let this happen? Like, they're very clearly at CERN how did they let this be a thing and then it was like they did but there but it makes sense when I let me go through this and it makes more sense because right so these the scientist that they had that they consulted was was Dr. Walt uh, Dr. Ralph Landua who is CERN's head of education and he has worked on antimatter research for about 40 years and he stated in an article that he's actually pleased with how the science was portrayed and commends Ron Howard for trying to get it right which I was like, sorry, what? <laughs> but I suppose oh. when you think about it, like the science is based on what Dan Brown wrote in the book. And then um, they were trying to do a good job. But I guess like my frustration with watching the movie now is that it's not necessarily about the science accuracy versus Hollywood science. It's that I think with the current climate of fake news and conspiracy and distrust of science that this movie does a lot of damage when people who don't fully understand the difference between real science and plot devices watch it and then take on these ideas that they portray about what the LHC is doing and antimatter and it's all dangerous and all this stuff. So something to think about though is that Angels and Demons as a movie was released in 2009 and its filming started in February of 2008. The first test runs of the LHC after it's just installed were in the 10th of September 2008. So it would have like they would have filmed this sequence at the LHC before it started running for the first time ever. So no one could have oh, predicted how like everything to do with the LHC and CERN and all these conspiracies were going to evolve over like the last um, 14 years. But when they made the movie, like they hadn't even started taking data yet. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that, because I've worked in particle accelerators before and basically they'll be like, There'll be a big sounds of machinery. There'll be every now and then a big alarm. And it's telling you to leave this certain area because they're doing an injection. And then it's basically that. It's like, and, and where people are, it's not that noisy. It's like they press buttons and it's not like, it's not that much of like, do this, do that. It's, it's, but you do get alarms and you do get big noises of stuff happening for yeah. sure. But in terms of like, does the thing itself make noise? Surely not. I don't really. Well, no, not really. Yeah, because so maybe the... And where you are as well in comparison to the LHC. So basically the main point though, in terms of going into the sequence and what's happening is that 
Howard wanted Ron Howard wanted to use the LHC because of how impressive it is visually. But the thing that we have to acknowledge and understand is that the LHC is not what is used at CERN to produce antimatter. It's not. There, there's, oh. it, the LHC Whoops. produces some antimatter as a byproduct, which I'll get to in a minute, but it is not the accelerator or the system that is used to generate and like store antimatter at all. So it was just used because it's visually more striking because it's so big and impressive and everything like that. Yeah. Uh, but then that might be what has led people to believe that the LHC is dangerous in thinking that it has the potential to create something like the explosion that we see in the movie, which it like absolutely cannot do. So I want to talk about the startup sequence because I can't say how entirely accurate, like lab coats aside, that the everything that happens in that startup sequence is, aside from, like I said, the the whole connection to the antimatter production and what what's going on with Vittoria is not is not a thing. But I did pick out some lines of what they say because I think it's interesting um, how these lines do actually tie in with the LHC. So first up is Atlas and CMS check. This makes sense. There are eight separate experiments that use the LHC and the two largest and the two that are more focused on proton-proton collisions for detection of the Higgs boson are the ATLAS experiment and the CMS experiment. So it would make sense that they were checking that these experiments were ready for the initial startup and the run. The next line is, let's hope the heavy ion guys didn't mess up. Again, this does make some sense because this relates to another experiment at the LHC that's called ALICE. This one focuses on collisions of heavy ions being led. Um, I'm not entirely sure what the run procedure is, but it does seem like they switch between the particles in the beam for periods of time, allowing for data collection with a like a run for heavy ions being a couple of months. So like two uh -huh. to three months of a run, collecting the data for that. Now it appears that like that tends to happen at the end of a run maybe, but I can't say that for sure. So it seems like what the scene is suggesting is that they've just had a run of heavy ions and now they've switched back to the proton-proton collisions, which Atlas and CMS and a few other experiments will focus on. And so, yeah, they're just saying, let's hope nothing was ruined in the heavy ion run. Um, the next gotcha. line then is injecting beams, which again, this does make sense because there's a couple of stages yeah. in the process of accelerating the protons. And what actually happens is the protons... First off, they, they come out of their little hydrogen tube, which is like one one little thing of hydrogen. Um, and the protons come out of that and they go through a linear accelerator. And then they go into a synchrotron booster, which is a small circular accelerator. Then they go into a proton synchrotron, which is a larger circular accelerator to like increase the acceleration again. Then they go into the super proton synchrotron, another larger circular accelerator. And then it's there that they're picked off on two different paths and sent the into the LHC in opposite directions. And then they're accelerated around the LHC. Um, and at one point then, at different points along the LHC where you have the experimental detectors in place for the different experiments, they'll be guided by like magnetic fields to a collision path where they'll collide and then the, the data will be collected there. So the whole beam injection is another thing that makes total sense in terms of having to inject the beam of protons um, for the collisions to occur. Um, 
Another thing they also mention here is luminosity, which is very important when we're talking about um, collider physics. Uh, it's a kind of a way to estimate the collision rate, but it's not a it's not exactly the same thing. It's kind of like saying how many particles there are in the beam that gives you an idea of how many particles could collide. So it lets you know kind of what your collision rate would be, but it's a lot more complicated than that. But that's kind of what they're saying with their luminosity. Like how many particles do we have in the space right now? Like how how high is our luminosity? Um, and then, yeah. oh yeah, so sorry. So that's just, that's it actually. That's it in terms of that, that whole startup sequence. <sighs> Which, which I just think is really interesting. And I thought it was really cool. And then I thought it was even cooler when I realized that they did this before the LHC even started running. And that's how they were able to have that access. And I just thought that was kind of, I was like, cool. oh, okay. All right, awesome. Cool. So I guess that consultant helped pick out the phrases that you would yeah. describe. It's basically describing the process. Because we're live recording, we're not engaging with the comments, but something has just popped up in the comments that I've noticed and I do want to address it. Because Tension Seeker said about the LHC, if it costs 13.5 billion to build and 23 million annually, it seems a bit evil while poverty exists. And I get this conversation a lot. I get this this thing that people like to bring up a lot, and I understand that. But number number one, I need to I need to express some. I, there's two things that we need to bring up here. There seems to be this general misunderstanding that people think CERN is an American institution. I don't know why. I don't understand why people think that it's not an American institution. CERN is a European institution and there are like 27 countries involved in CERN. So when you talk about how much it costs annually, that's fine. But that's annually divided across 27 countries. And CERN is an institution that employs 11,000 scientists. So while I understand what you're saying about like having this idea of spending big amounts of money on scientific research instead of just giving it to to poverty, what do you think is going to happen to those 11,000 scientists when you take their jobs away? Like like I just like people need jobs. People need work to be able to afford to eat and live and pay their rent. So I understand what you're saying about poverty, but we also need to have industry in order for people to actually have a job and live and survive. Fuck so it yeah. doesn't fix this. And also, if you want to look at poverty, how about taxing the fucking billionaires? Or how about actually looking at what's happening in governments? Stop worrying about what scientific institutions are doing. Hell yeah! Oh my god, scientists need to eat too. Oh my god, that was amazing, Abby. You fucking rock. It's <laughs> arbitrary to question. Look at the military for fuck's sake. Yes. Look at their price per drone strike of bombs that are dropped. They get used once. I mean, like, it's it's basically looking at a big number and arbitrarily saying, but there's people hungry. And you're so right. Yeah. The number of people that are employed, we need to eat too. It is so hard to get a job as a scientist. And when there is something like this that opened up, that it allows people to go for yeah. employment. And I remember the excitement of the LHC and my contemporaries went to Geneva to get jobs or wherever it is. Geneva? Yeah. Switzerland? Geneva, yeah. Yeah. I yep. mean, yeah. That was so good, Abby. You fucking rock. Thank you. I love you, man. Thank you. I love you too. Uh. <laughs> it's just like... Hell yeah. It's More, just... Yeah. I, I just kind of feel like the argument that people bring up about this is the same for any other industry. Like, why, why, do we need, why do we need this many mobile phone companies? Why do we need this many different types of mobile phones? Why do you need this many different types of TVs? Why do you need this many different types of cars? 
like take the money from those industries and give that if that's what you want as well like you can't use the argument against um physics in general and and or in science in general but want to keep all of your fun little technology stuff like it just it makes no sense it's like uh, that is true science is so important technology yeah. is so important i want to live in a society driven by science and technology not the kind of shitty place we live in now yeah. where no one like not being excited by that stuff and big cryptocurrency i mean like what if who cares like right there's exactly. so much shit like i i want to be living in a world where we push things forward i struggle also, with things like james webb for sure but that's my space trauma that's yeah. just my space trauma but i but but i know from historically like the search for extraterrestrial intelligence for example which cost a lot of money resulted in so much innovation yeah that gets injected back into society and i just i feel with a passion that that is the correct direction for a society is towards science and innovation and not anything else exactly excellent moving on because it's what you're saying it's what you're saying about um about the whole finance thing it's like how is finance and fashion giving us back like how is that a fashion industry is enormous influencer culture how is that doing anything for society how is that helping us like it just doesn't make sense hey don't go for fashion Hey. hey 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 but explain fashion. to me, explain to me how, hey, 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 explain hey. to me how like Paris hey. Fashion Week and the costs of these clothes and everything like that, how is that justified? How is all of that justified Honestly, as industry over science? <laughs> let's blow up a mountain. All right, okay, okay, let's move on. Like let's move fracking. back to the movie. Oh, okay. Let's move back to the movie because we're gonna we're gonna run out of time. We uh, we we these are the discussions we should have and argue with people in the comments after we've done the recording. So let's move back in. Speaking of scientists. We have a couple of scientists in this okay. movie. Now, uh, I just want to... Uh, all right. We've got Lady Vittoria and the priest, basically. So Father Silvano, yeah, which was possibly the weirdest fucking scene I've ever seen in my life, was the moment where we noticed that the guy sitting alone in the antimatter collection room, the only scientist in there, was a priest. It's a priest. And I was like, why the fuck is there a priest there? And I looked at this then and I actually just had to, I had to stop myself, Rita. I had to rein myself back. I had to rein myself back because there have been priests that have been scientists. A very, very famous example, Frida, George Lamatra, A Belgian Catholic priest, theoretical physicist, physics professor at a Catholic university and father of the expanding universe theory as well as the first one to propose the Big Bang. Was a fucking priest. Oh, uh, yeah, cool. Isn't that amazing? That, that's, that made me shut up about there being a priest sitting nice. in turn. <laughs> what about hot? What about the hot priest from Fleabag? Not all priests. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'll have it, some priests. Okay, but I like yeah, sitting alone in a room, yeah, that just made, that was... waiting for the antimatter on his little chair. That was weird. <laughs> I know. And I'm just staring at the canisters. We have antimatter. What is happening? I'm I'm so excited to get to the antimatter section. Okay. Uh, All right. So Vittoria Vettra. Vettoria Vettra. Okay. Um, 
I literally, I saw that. I didn't know what her full name was. And as soon as I saw Vittoria Vetra, I was like, are we on a fucking Stan Lee comic or something? Like, what is going on? Um, so she is a certain... Yeah. Si- right, this is the most... I'm sorry now. I am sorry I'm going to go off a little bit. She is a certain scientist working on antimatter. But then she says she works as a bio-entanglement physicist. What the fuck? Which what is a bio-entanglement is quantum biology. Right? Like, okay. right? Why the fuck would she be working at CERN on an antimatter experiment? Should be a particle physicist without question. But what? But quantum... Right? No, quantum biology is how... Like... She should be. I'm saying if she's working at sorry, no, she should be a particle physicist. Absolutely, no question, no doubt. She would absolutely have to be a particle physicist. Quantum biology has absolutely no connection to antimatter. Like, there's no purpose to understand why you would have a bio entanglement physicist working on a solo quantum like antimatter experiment that makes it's there i know why they did that but wait but wait because she yeah i i know why and i bet you're gonna say the same thing because i just went is it because she's a female scientist she can't possibly be a physicist she has to have something to do with biology is that why is that why i don't know no i just sort of said it does it. It justifies later when she knew the the symptoms of her rare poison. This thing, I was like, yeah, she knew. But she, also, she, she they had to they had to explain why. So weirdly, she also knew because I and this comes jacks of all trades. That's my trope. She's a jacks of all trades science lady. Can also perform an autopsy. Yeah, on the Pope. <laughs> They're just standing around the Pope with no formal doctor present being like, Blackmouth? Yeah. He was murdered. The Pope. They literally took the Pope out of his coffin and used this particle physicist, bio-entanglement physicist, to verify that he was murdered. Just... Like, bizarre. So that that's why they had to have that in there so that it was unclear what she did so that it made sense to use her later to explain the symptoms of this random poison. So bioentanglement is not a thing because I literally just Googled it and it goes quantum biology. Yeah, I'm exactly. like, okay, entanglement is one thing. Bioentanglement, I've never heard of that. No. I was ready to be ignorant, but you're saying, no, it doesn't exist. They made it up. They wanted to put bio so because she's a woman and she has to, care about biology i don't know or it's because as you said it's like that whole jack of all trades thing it's supposed to make it sound like she's a physicist which explains what she's at cern she's bio stuff which explains why she knows about um the this this random poison that's killed the pope apparently i like it like it's just but it's like they made up they made up a scientist jack of all trades where she just has to have all these different things jacks jacks of all trades sorry it's jacks of all trades trades. (laughs) And that's from the Meg. Ruby, it what's is. her name? Uh, yeah. Ruby Rose's character, Jax, is the Jax of all trade. Um, okay. Yeah, good. Okay. All right. So moving on to Robert Langdon. Uh, he's not a scientist, but he is an academic. He's a professor of symbology at Harvard. Now, I looked this up, right? And so it's not symbology, but the academic study of symbols is called semiotics. 
and it appears to be a very involved field of research with a pretty large set of subfields. Mostly it seems to focus on meaning making in signs that are intended to communicate, but it can look at cultural, allegorical, anthropological, logical, as well as biological um, signs. The fundamental study relates to science or science systems, while the applied study looks at cultures and artifacts. And then biosemiotics looks at communication of information in living organisms. So this whole like semiotics thing is a very real field with a lot of different people in it. But um, how do we feel about our symbologist? I was going to say, look, I love symbols. But you know what I love? Semaphore. <laughs> semaphore. What? Like, I'll go on it. Like, do you know what semaphore no. is? It's a language made from flags. Oh, it's flag language. Oh, cool. I didn't I know that. I absolutely love it. If any, I actually went on a date with someone purely because they referenced Semaphore in the opening conversation on the app. I was like, yeah, you like, I'll, yes. That's, <laughs> I love symbols. What I have a problem with is the fact that they're like, there's been a murder out of Bob. Quick, get the symbiologist. That is the problem that I have with it. I love a symbols academic all day, every day. No problem. It's just an excuse to have someone, it's an excuse to have Tom Hanks be like this action-y hero by like running around this because he understands all the signs of everything. But it's just so silly. Like that whole first scene where the guy turns up with a briefcase and he's got like the Illuminati sign that's like, upside down, it's the same. Or backwards, whatever it is. And you're just like, I just, why? Why why did you need to, here's this printout of this, of this thing that anyone could have made in any fucking word arc. There you go. Right. Coming back to the opening scene. Like I said, the one thing that they take liberty with in this scene is the production of antimatter. Um, a lot of people in the movie or otherwise appear to hold some fear of antimatter. Frida, what do you think? Are you afraid of antimatter? Yes, I'm terribly afraid. Oh, I'm afraid. I don't think she's afraid. <laughs> I'm still okay. afraid of my cactus from last week. Cool. That's a different thing. Um, what is antimatter? Do you do you know? Are you comfortable with the concept of antimatter? What it is, what it's doing, and all that. I'm actually not. Okay, cool. That's fine. Right. So it's common to think of it as something bad because you think of it as the opposite of matter, and that's kind of how it's portrayed. And it's also portrayed sometimes as like, or portrayed sometimes as the destruction of matter. And it doesn't help that when we talk about collisions with antimatter, we refer to it as annihilation. But I have also seen some people confuse antimatter with dark matter. But these are two very different areas of research and very different types of of matter. Dark matter is something that we don't know if it exists. We don't have the technology yet to be able to detect it if it does exist. Antimatter exists the same way as matter in our universe. We know what it is. We can, we can detect it, find it, make it. So... Um, The existence of antimatter was first proposed in 1928 by Paul Dirac, and it's one, like, Dirac, one of the most prominent physicists of the 20th century. Um, And it's basically the same as matter, but with an opposite charge. So a proton is a positively charged particle, and the antiproton is a proton with a negative charge. The electron is a negatively charged particle. The anti-electron, which we call the positron, is a positively charged electron. That's it. Like, that's all. 
Oh, shit. That is literally the only thing. It's just the charge is opposite. So when you have a neutral atom, it is its own antiparticle because it's neutral. It doesn't have an opposite charge. Now, wow. in 1932, that was the first time that the existence of antimatter was like that evidence was found for the existence of antimatter and it was positrons were found in cosmic rays. So the interesting behavior with the whole antimatter uh, production comes in the interaction between matter and antimatter. And this is where a lot of the fear comes from. When particles collide and break apart, the energy that made up that particle makes up other particles or little bits of energy. The thing that happens when matter and antimatter collide is it's called a total annihilation. And that basically means that they don't make up other particles. You don't get other little forms of decay paths into other particles. You just get the energy. And the energy that you get is the equivalent energy to the mass energy of the particle. So you collide two. So if you collide a proton with an antiproton, you will get photons of energy that correspond to the energy of the two of them combined, which means you get a lot more energy than you do in any other collision type. Oh, right. So antimatter at CERN is actually produced in a different experiment <laughs> where high energy protons collide with a target material producing proton antiproton pairs. And that's important. When when you try to create antimatter, you always get pairs. You don't just get the one. You get the proton and the antiproton. And then they use magnetic fields to separate the antiprotons and then they have to be guided through an antiproton decelerator. They have to be slowed down because that's the only way that you can trap them for study. They have to be slower. So they guide them through using magnetic fields through this whole vacuum system. They get slowed down and then they can get um, trapped. And the way they do this is because these are electrically charged antiparticles. So because they have an electric charge, they can be con contained in what's referred to as an electromagnetic trap. This suspends them in a vacuum chamber so that they can't touch anything. Um, the trap has to be in a vacuum because there has to be no other molecules, atoms or particles in there, like nothing at all but the antiparticles and the forces that they feel from the electric and magnetic fields that are causing them to be suspended in space. Okay. Are we good? Cool. Really cool. I, I, I'm actually in shock that, 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 yeah, like it's not exactly accurate. The neo nano composite yeah, canister no, that, yeah. isn't the thing, but I'm, I'm kind of in shock that, that it's not crazily far right? from the truth. I know. Um, but the thing is, what is far oh. off is does this moon, it can be mean that it could be used as a bomb as the Carmelengo uses and straight up. No. Right. So this is why we can't. This is why there this is why there is absolutely no reason at all to have any fear about antimatter. The traps that can hold the antimatter at CERN, they can hold up to 10 to the 12 antiparticles. Right? So 10 to the 12? Yeah. So that's a trillion okay. antiparticles, okay? So one trap can hold <laughs> yeah. one trillion particles. They can't hold any more than that because what you have to remember is that like charges repel. 
So the charges of the antiprotons, the more of them you have, the more they repel each other and then they'll push them out and further away. So then they'll be at more risk of being in contact with um, with regular protons. Uh, so one trillion particles sounds like a huge amount, right? Doesn't it? Doesn't one trillion particles sound like a lot? It's really, really small. Like it's so small. Yeah, I can't even small. describe to you how small one trillion particles is. The mass of a proton is 1.67 by 10 to the minus 27 kg. One single proton mass. So 10, so a trillion protons weighs 1.67 by 10 to the minus 15 kg. Like I can't even explain, I, I have no other way to describe to you how small a weight that is. One over 10 with 15 zeros of a kilogram, right? Now the explosion so that's that they the do, mass, yeah, of one trillion particles of one canister, energy, yeah, right. So in the in the movie, they get this explosion from one gram of antimatter. Okay, so they say because the energy they can get this level of an explosion from this one gram, uh, which is what they have in the movie, because of the mass that you get from this one canister, in order to get one gram of antimatter, you would need 600 billion of these canisters. <laughs> That's funny. So, one so, gram of antimatter. they say they have a gram in there, in the movie? Yeah. In the movie, they say the we have a gram that they, The explosion here. that they talk about is correct for a gram of antimatter. You actually don't even need a gram of oh. antimatter to actually produce the same amount of energy um, as you could get from one hydrogen bomb. You only need half a gram of antimatter because then the other half a gram comes from the protons. So if you get like a half a gram of antiprotons and a half a gram of protons and you have a gram of material reacting because of the way that the energy conversion right. works in an atom bomb versus the way that the energy conversion works for an antimatter reaction, uh, you just need a half a gram of antimatter in order to generate the same force as what you get from one hydrogen bomb. The problem is that getting that amount of antimatter. So this canister that they get, this like 10 to the 12, basically is how much that they can store and collect in a day. So you would need like a couple of billion years for CERN to actually get enough <laughs> antimatter to be able to have half a gram of antimatter to make one hydrogen God, that's bomb. That's a long con. Right? That sounds long con. <laughs> They're like, yeah, we'll do this in 600 billion years and then we'll annihilate everything. So this thing, like everyone's terrified about it. Everyone's like freaking out. And I've seen people yeah. complain. I've literally seen this video. I saw this video of somebody complaining about how dangerous it is, how CERN stores antimatter. And I'm like, do you know how CERN stores antimatter? Or do you think they store it in the way that this movie tells you they store it? Because... Like seriously, it's not what you think, and the and the amount that can be generated is so small. Like, there's just no possible way for CERN to actually develop enough antimatter, have enough antiprotons to cause any form of dangerous explosion, 
without collecting it and storing it for a billion years. Like a billion years. That is not an exaggeration. It is a billion years before you need to worry about antimatter. And if it could, they could get a gram and it could make a bomb, would the bomb sound like this? They, so I don't know. So would right, I watched it. the sound of the bomb? Like literally I watched the movie and I lolled at it and I was just like, this is hilarious. And then I saw the interview with the CERN physicist, um, Rolf uh, Landua, and he was just like, oh yeah, that explosion's pretty accurate. Oh, really? Well, I suppose if you think about, like, what's an atomic bomb explosion like? I don't know. So, yeah. It, it goes, it explodes, and then it I don't has know. a massive yeah, you see, I don't know the fire exact, bomb, um, and then it mushrooms for, like, hours. Yeah, it but there, there's definitely hours, a thing to do with um, hydrogen bombs that relates to the, oh, it's something to do with the wave front that there's like uh, one that comes in and then one that goes out and stuff. I can't remember exactly what it yeah, is. So in. I don't know. But all, all I know well, is that for know, sure, but... like while there might be some accuracy in terms of what the destruction that you would get from having a gram of antimatter is, the idea, be, I think people find it really difficult because a gram is so small that you think, well, it's just so easy, but you don't understand how difficult it is to produce antimatter. Like it's so hard that while a gram is tiny, a particle is so small that like you just we don't have the capacity to generate enough of it for it to ever be used in this way so it's a theme this is definitely a theme of scale with a lot of this kind of thing and the hysteria around it that we've had a few of these examples with the pod where you're explained the reality of the scale and the hysteria is around a scale yeah which is completely irrelevant and that is a theme Ex- uh, yeah exactly um what about the future of energy as vittoria says oh to be using that as energy source yeah like in Spider-Man 2 with Doc Ock and his octopus hands and he's like, <laughs> this is energy. So I don't know. Uh, so no, antimatter will never be used as an energy source. Never. Like uh, some people are kind of have this idea of like, and people will say the thing that is one of the most frustrating things that I find that I get sometimes as a response, which is like, well, maybe not now but you don't know what's going to happen in the future. And it's like, no, I do know. I do know. And I will tell you right now, antimatter is not naturally occurring. It does not just naturally occur in the environment around us. We have to put a lot more energy into creating an antiparticle than we would ever get from the annihilation of matter with antimatter. So with all of the matter, all of the antimatter so far that has been created at CERN since they started making it, you would only have enough energy to power a single light bulb for a few minutes. That's the same as saying, oh, but if the scale was different, it's like, yeah, not now, but maybe later. It's sort of the same technique of trying to validate something impossible by saying, yeah, yeah, but maybe later. And you, Abby, sometimes you're very, you choose which things you're going to apply that to. If you, no, but some, there are, some movies you've been like, yeah, not now, but maybe no, but, later. No, but there are like, things. Never. No, but there uh, are things that you can talk about in terms of like, I mean, fusion reactor, absolutely. 
fusion technology in the future we absolutely cannot say what will happen in the future so the idea of being able to have like a small reactor um powering or having this like clean energy source absolutely you for sure but we can also for sure say that absolutely no way no how will there ever be a future where we will have an antimatter reactor like it's just not going to happen and we will never ever 3d print Bose einstein condensates no never (laughs) that is not a thing never no not a thing never but zombie fungus coming and turning us into a zombie apocalypse you can't say no (laughs) okay so no to that so in terms of what is antimatter actually used for then because that will be a question that people will have well like what's the point of it then so positrons are actually already used in pet scanners in medicine and there is the potential for antiprotons to be used in, tu- in tumor irradiation in the future. But again, we're just talking about like it's very, very small scale in comparison to like what you would be thinking about for um, these reactions. A random fact that I found, and this is something that everyone should take into consideration when they're concerned about antimatter. Your body emits 180 positrons per hour. This is due to the way that uh, potassium-40 decays in your body. Um, So if you're worried about antimatter, your body's putting it out there all the time. So I don't see any collisions happening around me that's concerning. Um, Most of the antimatter produced at institutes around the world, because CERN is not the only place that does it, and Fermilab in the US actually produces more antimatter than CERN does. Um... It's done. It's basically produced to study the laws of nature or why there isn't more antimatter in the universe. Because as I said earlier, when you create it, you get it in pairs. So you get the um, you get the proton and you get the antiproton pair. But that doesn't then explain if if they get created in pairs, then why is it that the universe is composed of normal matter for the most part? And there's very little antimatter naturally in the universe. Where did all the antimatter go? So it's that's why it's produced to try to study it and understand it in order to answer those questions. Um, so yeah, that's where we're at with antimatter. It's fundamental. Fundamental. It's fundamental research. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, so that's where we're that's at with antimatter. I've only got one more thing to kind of go through, but how do you feel so far? I'm loving it. I think that that I'm surprised that the movie had some interesting accuracies and you've explained it really well. Thank you. Um, I'm less scared about it. (laughs) Well, that's good. So one more thing that Vittoria says is it's a way of studying the origins of the universe to try to isolate what some people refer to as the God particle. So, Frida, (laughs) the God particle. The worst naming in history. I know. Um... I know. Okay, shall we go through this then? We- I remember, can I say, I remember when this was in the news and yeah. I was just starting out in my science pursuits and I was like, I, I was still very religious and I would go to a lot of like Shabbat dinners where everyone was like, we've got a science person here, Farida. <laughs> and I was always like science comment on, I comment on this. And I remember when, when the Higgs boson was in the news, everyone was like, Frida. You're the science person in this room. Why don't you tell us about it? And I remember the the um, vitriol against the use of the God particle. And they're like, ha! You know, I was yeah. like directed at me. I remember f- bearing the burden of that awful name. 
it's, myself. It's really frustrating because every time I talk about it, we're stuck in this like catch 22 now, I feel like where every time I talk about it, people people jump into my comments with like, can we stop calling it the God particle? And it's like, I would fucking love to stop calling it the God particle. But the problem is a lot of people have heard of the God particle and don't know what the Higgs boson is. So if I just talk about the Higgs boson, the people who know what the, who've just heard of the God particle and are scared of it, they don't know I'm talking about the same thing. So we have to address it, which is unfortunate and it's frustrating. And particularly when you know where the name comes from. Uh, do you know where the stupid nickname comes from? Cause it's really fucking annoying. <laughs> No, go ahead. Tell me. Okay. The God Particle is a stupid pop science nickname. It comes from a book in 1999 written by Leon Lederman, who is a physicist. But the truth of the matter is that he wanted to call it that goddamn particle because of how hard it was to find. And then the publishers changed the title of the book to The God Particle because they felt that it was catchier. And unfortunately for us and particle physicists around the freaking world, it was a catchy title and it's caused like the thing is, it has brought a lot of attention to it, but not all of the attention has been good because now people think the physicists are walking around the place saying, oh, it's the God particle. And that's why we call it that. And it's like, no, no physicist ever called it the God particle. It was a publisher of a book. It's media. It's the way media portrays science. It's very frustrating. It's very, very frustrating because we can't fucking turn back the clock and get rid of it. No. It doesn't make you angry. But I feel I feel like God. <laughs> I, I'm just over. I'm just over all of it. Like, I don't give a shit about God anyway. I'm there. I'm not afraid to say it. I okay. don't give a fuck. Okay. Like God. All right. Well, then let's talk about the Higgs boson very quickly. Um, the Higgs boson it was proposed back in 1960s. Uh, basically, a bunch of different researchers were looking at trying to understand why some particles have mass and others, like the photon, don't. And Peter Higgs was the first one to present the existence of a particle that, when interacted with, would confer mass. And so that's why it was called the Higgs boson. He wasn't the first one to be looking at this kind of research and stuff. And that's why he shared the Nobel Prize with a few other people. But he was the first one to explicitly say, I think it's a particle. Um, so that's what the Higgs boson is. It's the way that the photon is a particle that allows us to interact with the electromagnetic field. In a similar way, the Higgs boson is a particle that allows subatomic particles to interact with the Higgs field, giving it mass. Now, I saw a great video the other day from a physicist that I know on TikTok who described the Higgs field as space-time molasses, and I thought this was a great way to describe it. When photons move through the Higgs wow. field, they don't feel any interaction. So they don't get any inertial mass, they don't slow down. They just continue and travel at the universal speed limit, like the speed limit of the universe. But when other particles like quarks and electrons move through the Higgs field, they do interact with it. So they gain inertial mass and they slow down. It's like when different particles moving through molasses, the amount of mass they gain depends on how much they resist the change to their speed or position when they encounter a force. So basically different particles have different mass determined by how much they interact as they move through this Higgs field. Now, the thing that people get confused about relates to its connection to the Big Bang, or as Langdon says in the movie, the moment of creation. Basically, 
all quantum fields have what we refer to as a net expectation vacuum, like uh, as a net vacuum expectation value of zero, except for the Higgs field. So this is believed that due to the break, like this is believed that in the moments after the Big Bang, there was a symmetry breaking of quantum fields that caused the Higgs field to have a um, non-zero net vacuum expectation value. And this non-zero value is what allowed subatomic particles to interact, gain mass. Sorry, my, my phone went to low power there for a second. Okay, so uh, this this net, um, yeah, this, this, uh, this symmetry breaking is what allowed subatomic particles to interact with the Higgs field and then gain mass, slowing particles down in the universe and allowing matter to form, basically. Uh, so that's what we're talking about. Unfortunately, because of this and the fact that it's so difficult to detect the Higgs boson, this has led some people to believe that the Higgs boson has not existed since the Big Bang. And so they accuse CERN of trying to recreate the Big Bang in order to create the Higgs boson and study it. Um, and since it's connected to the moment of creation, this means people accuse scientists of using it as a way to disprove God. And then because it has that nickname of the God particle coming from those publishers. The reality is that the Higgs field and the Higgs boson exist absolutely everywhere in space and have done since the beginning of the universe. It's everywhere, like literally everywhere. The point of CERN is that up until 2012, when it was first seen, we just didn't have a microscope big enough to look at it. And that's all. That's uh, that's amazing. Uh, you explained that really well. Uh, it's also taken me back to a time when I knew, like, I've forgotten so much of what you're talking yeah. about. Like a lot of the terms you're using, honestly. Um, but I, you don't need you don't need to understand all that to get the general gist of how the misunderstanding came to be. Oh, you have to recreate the Big Bang. You know, no, you don't. Oh, but if you recreate the Big Bang, then the Big Bang itself is controversial. You're only doing this. No, we weren't. No, we don't. It's like one misunderstanding yeah. after the other. Exactly. And as you say, it's an instrument that is big enough to see something that has been difficult to see, but has been there the whole time. Exactly. And it also was there then. Yeah. That's, that's all it it's, is. And we come back to the original discussion of we aren't there working against religion, but there happens to be points of difference Yeah, that because of scientific expedition, we have discovered things which go against the Bible. That is not the problem of science to resolve that philosophical conflict. That is not our job. We're just putting together things that we see. Yeah not intentionally to, to hurt anybody. Exactly. It's just the way it is. It's just results. And it's just saying, look, this is, you know, we experiment, we look, we investigate, we gather the data, and this is what it says. And, and there's not really anything to argue with for the most part. The one thing that I will say about what's happened in the movie is that they, they, want, they wanted to bring in the God particle and antimatter, but something that has to be defined is that there is a very large difference between antimatter study and Higgs boson. You do not require antimatter to study the Higgs boson. Antiprotons do get made as a byproduct of proton-proton collisions, 
but in that like uh creation that's happening within the lhc those anti-protons are not studied they're not used at all that has absolutely no relevance to it so trying to connect the two in that sentence that she says that antimatter is a way of studying the higgs boson is not correct they just wanted to connect the two things because they just thought oh here's an interesting way to bring it in it's contemporary yeah exactly yeah it's contemporary so that's it that is cool angels and demons how do you feel yeah, you are, you sound like you know you sound like you know what you're talking about, Abs. This is the one I've been the this is the one where like I didn't have to do that much research for cuz I was like I already know all of this science and it made me feel really good cuz I was like I know this stuff. This is great. <laughs> I've talked about this stuff a lot. <laughs> it made me really happy. Cool. <laughs> um, I have nothing to add to any of that. Okay. That's brilliant. And I'm, uh, yeah. I do have just, one just, just to like... say to end it all. So before we go into what the fucks, while Ron Howard works to try and get some sense of reality in the science, this movie is ultimately written by Dan Brown, who is a peddler of fiction. Like for real. He has consistently claimed that all the information in his books is factual. It is not. The stories are conspiracy fodder that people love to buy into and so they sell. But to believe any of it as true and to trust Dan Brown's claims that his stories are historically and scientifically factual is dangerous. The spread of misinformation is becoming more and more prevalent and harder and harder to combat. So I just want to be very, very clear that this is fiction. Okay. That's it. That's that's the beginning and the end. Next. What the fuck? What the Okay, Frida, I've got a list still. I don't know how I still have a list, but I do. So, do you have a list of things? I have one, and then I have something that I just found so fucking hilarious, and I had nowhere to put it in the episode. Okay. So. All right, well, look, the way... Whatever, whatever. We've already... I, I, guess, I guess it can be what the fuck. Okay, well, we've already covered a bunch of mine, which was um, the mention of the Illuminati, something's happened at CERN, quick call the symbologist... Um, you brought up stuff about the archives that I also kind of had in there because I had two things to do with the archives. There was like, right, first off, like, why did she bother ripping the paper out? They had permission to be there. Why did she need to rip out the page? So it was doing as if like, you know, oh, the guy's coming to kick us out. And it's like, what? this made no sense. This was just like, it was so unnecessary. Abby, Abby. Yeah. I wouldn't even rip a page out of a book from St. Kilda Library. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I, I was being weird that. by being upset that it was like this historical document that she ripped out. I was traumatized. <laughs> I was like, why did ah. you just do that? You're a hor ah. horrible person. <laughs> you are not an academic. Um, the other one yeah. I had to do with the archives was just the whole thing with the like. So first off, I did check. Are the archives in a low oxygen environment? Is, is that a real thing? They're not. They're not set up like that. They're just like a normal fucking library the way, store thing ridiculous the low oxygen the low oxygen contraption i'm like how's all that hard to measure low oxygen the, but just but, the whole graphics i'm like it's really not it's not such a complicated gadget to measure the amount of cell. oxygen so calm down <laughs> but that whole okay. scene and also then like they both they're both like practically passed out the air comes in and suddenly up and running everything's fine oxygen yeah. deprived for a while yeah, nothing that. wrong with our brains <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, I 
at this. Okay, wait. Before. I'll give. I'll give you. Uh, okay, so I had. <laughs> I had one that just really fucked me up. No, I'm not, you know, ugh, is it even worth mentioning? It was the whole cross on the map thing. Because the thing is, this annoyed me because I remember vividly from reading the book and being really annoyed about this because I remember just getting angry and angrier at how long it took him in the book to get to the point that it was a cross. Like, it wasn't that fucking difficult. Oh, four points. Oh, wait here. And then they're here. And then they're, oh, how did you not figure out it was four points already? Like, it's not that fucking hard. It's a cross. It's obvious. Come on, get there faster. Um. Anyway, and then... uh. Another, <laughs> okay, okay, I'll, I've got two more then. Go on, give me, give me yours. <laughs> uh, I just, my one is the, I wrote the actual quote down. Oh, or just another quote, but oh, oh, oh yeah, they find one of the priests who's like bleeding, you know, and they're like, he's still alive. And then she immediately is like mouth to mouth. <laughs> he's still alive. What does she do? Puts her mouth on his mouth and starts blowing into his mouth. What? He was awake, you know, right? Stop he the wasn't... bleeding. Called it, but it just like mouth to mouth. But he didn't need it because well, wasn't he awake? He wasn't. Why? I don't know. But was it, made it just no so sense. that they could like, show my the, first the blood instinct... coming out of the wound? <sighs> my instinct would be to stop the bleeding. That would be. <laughs> oh yeah, because they were like. They needed to blow air into the lungs just to show yeah. that the lungs are. But like the, her instinct to immediately, I know, yeah. was disgusting. That was my what the fuck. That was but really I guess you're gross. right. It's because how else could we show? But my this is my favorite part of the entire movie. My favorite part of this movie is a cardinal saying to like this other priest, you sanctimonious bastard. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is so hilarious. <laughs> it's so funny. A bunch of people running around the Vatican being like, sanctimonious bastard. <laughs> also, the, the, idea that, I'm sorry, the idea that the Vatican guards would then shoot him down instead of just restraining him. A cardinal. <laughs> the Vatican, the holy, About holy this guy. faith. Vatican guards wouldn't just restrain <laughs> the priest <laughs> with a poker. They shoot him to death. Like, he's going, Illuminati. And they're like, pew, 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 pew. <laughs> okay. Illuminatus, Illuminatus. Shut up. <laughs> um, speaking of, actually, because I had. McGregor parachute. Yeah, no, th- this is the thing, because that's what I had. Then I was like, number one, how the fuck is he getting up and moving after being branded? I know he branded himself, but it's a very clear branding. And the next thing he's walking around with his like robes loose, like he's the cool priest. And then he's up in the fucking helicopter, because obviously, you know, we had to learn that he'd learned how to fly helicopters because that was going to become important. Because why else would you need to know a priest that knows how to fly helicopter? And then he goes up there and then he jumps out of the helicopter and he's been branded. Then he goes down and somehow he manages to not be knocked off course by this giant fucking bomb that just went off in the sky <laughs> that managed to show this like ripple effect and of the, the fountain and knock everyone on the ground. But his parachute still lands in the plaza and he's fine. <laughs> Ridiculous. He's like, oh, 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 oh. Ridiculous. <laughs> Anyway, that Amazing. was it. That was I it. laughed my head off. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, very good. Okay. And, and at the end of the film, where they're like, one request, just would you write about us? Could you be nice about us? Yeah. 
Okay, bye. bye. <laughs> All right. We're sensitive. Okay, final verdicts then. Uh, okay, number one, did the movie pass the SAMS test? For clarification, the SAMS test is our version of the Bechdel test. So it just relates to how the female characters are portrayed in the movie. And the point is that this movie did not pass the fucking SAMS test because there's only one woman in the whole movie and she has to be hot scientist, jacks of all trades, completely unrealistic with anything. And she's only there to just fucking show off Langdon. That's it. That's how I feel. How do you feel? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I just was like actually just meditating on the Vatican City having no women like at all, and I'm just like, wow, it's just all these men in like funny dresses. Yeah, like that's really the whole thing. Not what like I was like the movie, yeah, but also the entire Catholic establishment yeah. has no room for women, and then and then when they meet the Pope and she has to wear her dumb fucking veil, I was like, ugh. Fuck this. Get some women in there. Seriously, get a lady poop. Stop already. Why does everyone give a shit? Just put some women in there. It's ridiculous. Um, Okay, does it pass? Here comes the science. It's surprising, right? Like, not completely, but it does a little bit. What it doesn't pass is here comes the symbologist, because that exposition is fucking bullshit. Like, (laughs) shut up. Here comes the symbologist. <laughs> I think that it does pass the here come the science test. Obviously, the size of the bomb and the parachute and all of that is yeah. silly. But if there was, the fact that if it was a gram, it yeah. would be like that. Like, that's, you know, that's interesting. So yeah, I, I I'm going to give it a yeah. yeah. So, um, some, yeah. And, and that's the thing. It kind of does. Final verdict. Though. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to give it. A, a 2.9 whoa that is surprising that is high frida i'm going 2.4 yeah because i learned a lot of science and i'm okay, very surprised fair. how much of the science is yeah. true and like even though the visualization of the particles i mean that was just for our favor but i'm just surprised i was ready for it to be all bullshit and i'm like yeah. oh interesting so cool like the movie is a is a is a trough of shit <laughs> but they did try to pull contemporary scientific ideas to try to get the audience kind of excited about like contemporary science and, That's, and yeah exactly i like the movie oh. is absolutely terrible but scores get given for the science purely which is great <laughs> abby wait you forgot because i had a never been kissed oh yeah come on my my item i wrote on my list that i have a callback to never been kissed go on in this movie. What you curious what it was? Yeah, go on. <laughs> you know the scene where they're like, what's the theme? Josie's going to pick the theme. Yeah. Do you remember that scene? That This scene where they were like, the Cardinals were all like, let's make him the prom queen. <laughs> <laughs> Which was so ridiculous and would never been... happen. It was so stupid. <laughs> all, exactly. All these Cardinals that have been vying for power forever being like, I like the new guy. Let's make her the prom queen. <laughs> it just the reminded me of that. That's a... Okay. Sorry. What's your final verdict? I say, yeah, 2.4. Just for science. 2.4. Yeah. I'm 2.9. 2.4. Cool. Okay. All right. Next movie is me. Yes. What is it? I'm going in such a contrast. Oh, God. Okay. I need a serious movie that is a good movie 
that is about real life science, not fake science. And the movie I've chosen is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, I was wondering when that was going to come up. I knew it was going to be you who was going to pick it. I was like, it's not going to be me. (laughs) Okay. All right. So next movie is going to be One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Excellent. That'll be in two weeks time. Um, So yeah, if you want to join us, do. We'll set up a live to do it on TikTok. And um, in the meantime, you can give us a rating or subscribe to the podcast on whatever your chosen player is. You can find us on TikTok at Science of the Movies. um, And you can also... Drop us a message on Instagram or send us an email, scienceofthemovies at gmail.com if you want to recommend movies or any any movies that you want us to cover the science of. Please do drop. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us. Bye.